BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts and you can watch us twice a week on YouTube on Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to our channel, hit the like button, subscribe, comment and join the community. We're gathering a bit of steam now, so let's keep it going. Uh, And the description uh, or the link should be in the description of this episode, if you're listening on audio. Uh, Rob, I'm a little bit, uh, my, my voice is a little bit different today. Uh, I've had a, had a late night last night, um, and so did Harry, who's uh, who's behind the camera. Uh, but you are looking fresh. How are you doing, Rob? Fresh as a daisy. Uh, it's uh, April Fool's Day, so I was going to make some kind of April Fool's joke and thought, hmm, that might not date very well because it's out of date as of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, no, I'm doing really, really good. And, of course, we've got an actual football match to talk about today with Manchester United back in the Premier League. It's mad. I, I mean, I've had conversations and Man United's last game was against, well, last Premier League game was at home to Spurs and it feels like forever ago. Uh, but obviously the the game with Liverpool that was meant to be the weekend after was rescheduled. So that's coming up as well. But uh, United play Leicester at the weekend at Old Trafford. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on. We'll also talk the breaking news this morning as we record. Bruno Fernandes has signed a new deal with United until 2026 with an option for a further year, I believe. We'll get into why is he signing a deal? Why are United offering deals? They don't have a manager. Uh, we'll talk about the managers as well. Pochettino conversations happening. A second round of interviews potentially happening. Eric Ten Hag is... We talk about it every show, Rob. Eric Ten Hag mm-hmm. is the front runner. How many times can we talk about this? <laughs> but, you know, it's what's in the news. And we'll also talk about, uh, talk about the game, obviously. And we might even throw in uh, some comments from Imerick Laporte, which are circling around, which have... Throwing some shade at United, but a reminder, you can follow us too on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders for me, at underscore Rob underscore B for Rob and for the show, Promise Land MU at Promise Land MU. So let's get into the, the big news of the day, Rob. Not a manager decision or anything like that, but an official communication. 
that Bruno Fernandes has signed a contract extension. Now it's been in the it's been in the works for a while. I think it's been pretty much public knowledge for a few weeks that he was going to officially sign this after the international break, and that's how it's played out. So good news overall. Yeah, you know you've been. There's a, a certain role that you'd like to see Bruno Fernandes playing at United, but you are you have been, and like many other fans, have been quite critical of his wastefulness in a sense. So, but he is one of their main players now, so it's a statement. Of course, and I think we heard about six weeks ago that Bruno was due to sign this contract. It was just a case of when Manchester United wanted to put pen to paper and put it out to the world. So this has been something that's been brewing behind the scenes for a little while now. And of course, it it probably puts forward more questions than answers, doesn't it? So Manchester United offering contracts to players, whether they be senior players or not senior players, when you haven't got a manager, when you're still trying to sort your own direction out. As you said there, we talked about where play should play on the pitch. So that's an ongoing conversation, certainly around Bruno Fernandes as well, about where he is most effective. Um, but there's good and bad here. And I think we should kind of look at both. So the good thing is that Bruno Fernandes is not so desperately unhappy at Manchester United. <laughs> that he's not willing to like uncommit himself to the football club and move on. Because let's be honest, when players are unhappy, that's what happens. That's what we've been talking about in, in terms of Marcus Rashford and other players. So Bruno's signing this deal and he's going to get a very big pay rise. You know, I think it's double money from what he was on originally when he came uh, from uh, Sporting Lisbon. But I think... The the negative, and some fans don't want to play on it, some do, is that if you're looking at a direction of a football club and you're committing players to a direction, what are you actually telling the new manager? What's the, what's, what are you telling him in terms of his own power and strength? Now, to counter that, just to kind of not get too deeply in it, I think there probably is a case that Manchester United do know who their next manager is and have had that conversation. That's yeah. not something we can confirm. But I think Bruno Fernandes is a wonderful player when he's at his best. And when he's at his worst, he is dreadful. And we need to make those two things come closer together, Scott. And that's something for Bruno to address more than anyone. On a positive, I'll throw a positive uh, point of view at it. United have been criticised for several years of jumping from philosophy to philosophy, from manager to manager and it's always been, why don't we have a sporting director to make the decisions of who the players are and then we'll f- we'll find a manager to, you know, to keep a continuation in a sense. So they have made the decision without a manager in place, but you would think that in the conversations they have had, players like Bruno and the key players will come up. Is it, is this John Murter and Darren Fletcher taking that on and having the long-term plan? Or is this... Do you just kind of think, oh, he's a he's a key player. We need some positive news. Let's just get him. Well, potentially, like, I, I think that the structure should be that a director of football and a sporting director takes that lead with contracts and with with keeping people at the football club. I will I will say this. I spoke to an agent not so long ago who deals directly with Manchester United on a regular basis, and his opinion is that John Murto doesn't have a lot of power. So there you go. So I do think that United have built this system within the club of intermediates in terms of the football structure, and you need that as a business. But how much power does X, Y, and Z have? 
And I think that that's a conversation that will run and run and run because sometimes to me, it feels like the board continue to make the choices, but just pass the buck when things go wrong. So they go, oh, this this time it's this player's problem or it's this it's this coach and we sack that coach. And oh, now we've got a director of football. It hasn't worked there. Right, let's get another director of football. It, it's not, it's all done on quicksand, Scott. Do you know what I mean? There's no kind of concrete there. It's just everything slips through the channel. So I just think that, that John Murto has an influence on these things, but I still do believe, in, like, hand on my heart, that it's Richard Arnold who makes these calls. Yes, uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, United are saying certain things about how they want it to run and that kind of thing, but, you know, we will see. But this does seem to me like United have been... so It's been so, so many negatives over the past few months that you just need a little bit of a pick-me-up. And now is a... A time like just before they're starting the final run of the season to spin things in the favor of positivity again, even though they are, you know, sixth in the league or wherever they are. I haven't looked at the table for months, <laughs> well, for weeks. But um, yeah, Bruno is going to be one of the key players. You could see if, if Juan Mata leaves in the summer, maybe Bruno will get his favored numbered eight shirt and like you can make, make a big fuss of that. And I think this might be the first step towards it. But yeah, he will be there for. Four more years at the least, uh, unless United sell him along the way. But uh, it's it's a commitment to a new era, new project, and he's going to be at the heart of it, isn't he? So you know, he's at his peak years, and I think he has he has proven over the past, well, since he joined United a couple of years ago, that he really has that ability to carry them on his back. But you know, it's not quite worked out that way this season. But he's one of the most important players on the team. He's the most important player in the team. Let's be honest. Like, you know, if you get Bruno Fernandes firing and you have a team that operates around Bruno Fernandes and in conjunction with Bruno Fernandes, it's been proven, even under Logan and Solskjaer, that you can win. You can come second in the league. You can get to European final, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the issue is, Scott, like you just said there, commitment to a new project. Bruno Fernandes has been at the club two and a half years already, kind of, isn't it? Is it two and a mm. half years, two years? So... The new project started the day you arrived. Yeah. So, so what, what do we do? So, in the next four years, how many times does the project restart? So, I think this is the this is the issue for me. Is that I would have preferred to have seen a manager in place before we announce contracts for players. But I also do understand the commercial beast that is Manchester United. That Bruno Fernandes has now shown that he has commercial value to the football club that he certainly did not have on day one when he joined Manchester United. He was still he, he was known. But just known to, I think, football aficionados, not not the wider public. It was a lot of United fans who didn't really know who he was. So, yeah, he's a he's a big cult figure at United. But we need more from Bruno. And I think this is something that needs to be stressed, is that as good as he can be, his stats, his, his goals, his incredible impact in football matches over that period he's been at the club, there's been something missing from his game this year. And I think that it's a lot to do with Cristiano. It's just still that blending. Did you see against um, Portugal, where Portugal obviously qualified for uh, yeah. for the World Cup, that they linked up, didn't they? There was that thing where Cristiano put uh, Bruno through, Bruno finishes. How many times have we seen that for Manchester United this year? I could count it on this yeah, one little hand, stubby hand. Yeah, so ultimately we need more of that. We need to see more of that from, from these players. And I do think that this is more about planning ahead for the future years without Cristiano rather than the current day. Yeah, I mean, Bruno, you would think, is probably the first in a line of players who will get a new deal. I, I think Luke Shaw is probably not too far off. Um, we've had 
it's come through this morning that Heath Chong, although not a key player by any by any stretch, has signed or has had an extension triggered in his deal. But you know, you not have to make decisions on some. Well, they got a lot of decisions to make on players who are out of contract this summer. Whether any of them will stay remains to be seen. Uh, but United will have to make decisions on how they're going to move forward. And I think that could be the f- the trigger to, for a, a few more extensions coming up. Is there any anyone else you really think of, like outside of Luke Shaw, that could be in line? The immediate deals are those two, as you said. So obviously now Bruno is over the line. And so we heard about that six weeks ago. It's It's been brewing for a while. And that's why I mentioned Luke Shaw last week about his contract, because that is also in discussions. There is a feeling with all parties, with Luke, including the player himself, that he wants to continue and carry on. He's on a pretty sizable deal anyway. You know, the last contract he signed was a was a big pay rise and United did say to him at the time they believed in him and, and I don't think that's changed at all. I think when you look through the team now, the decisions are going to be about how do you trim the wage bill because this is important going into the next transfer window. Manchester United cannot go and do the business that they really need to do unless they sort that out. So the biggest chunk of money there, the two bits, I would say, are Cavani and Ronaldo. So Cavani, we know, will be off the books. There's no doubt about that. He will be leaving the football club. It's just about whether you stick with Cristiano for another year. Do you keep him for the commercial value? Because he sells lots of shirts and he is the Don and the God and the icon to these fans that that want to pay their money to buy shirts and buy merchandise? Or do you make the right football decision and that would be to sell him and move him on quickly because another £25 million in wages for Cristiano to score you 20 goals and you come sixth, that doesn't really float my boat. What about David De Gea, Rob? Because he is the second highest earner and has lost his international price. I don't know whether he'll get back in it ahead of the World Cup, but he wasn't called up for Spain. Uh, concerns about how he plays, but he is he's... When you think of like if, if United change captain, or I don't think they will, but if United change captain, then De Gea's name is put forward. But is he like, he's out of contract in within the next couple of years. And I think there's mm. been discussions about him as well. So would that be a, a good choice? Or does that need to kind of run down and United need to phase him out? De Gea will sign a new contract. There's no doubt about it. It was signing a new contract. Again, the player himself has expressed an opinion publicly and privately that he'd like to stay at Man United. I think he said actually only a few weeks ago that Manchester is my home and I could not see myself playing for any other football club now. Hmm. Contract coming up. Funny Hmm. to say that publicly, isn't it? Um, Again, Manchester United as an entity, as a football club, are happy with De Gea. Certainly, look, he's going to probably be player of the year this year, isn't he? Again, which will be like the sixth time out of seven or eight seasons, which is crazy for a goalkeeper. It shows everything that's wrong at Man United. Um, I'm not against David getting a contract, but we've said it again on this show a lot, is that if you want a sweeper keeper, if you want to do modern things, you've got to adhere to modern principles. And De Gea does hold you back there. But again... You know, no smoke, you know, no fire there without that. We know that De Gea wants to stay. We know that Manchester United would like him to stay. I can see him signing a new contract probably in the summer or, or somewhere close. Giving him any more of a pay rise on top of what he's getting, it just doesn't really... Uh, and he's not really a, a commercial entity for United. Yeah. So, like, you know, we talk about these things all the time. And this is why when we talk about the Pogba situation, about what is Pogba worth, that we cannot just talk about Paul Pogba in terms of his worth on the pitch, because his worth off the pitch is huge. So this is part of the salary. Mr. Hay doesn't really help you sell shirts. He's just someone that has been at the club a long time. He is a, a legend of the football club. I would describe him as that. Um, 
But is he going to help you win in the next two to three or four years? Or is he just going to help you stay fourth? Mm. That's the problem, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, whoever comes in as manager will have a... Well, I'm sure they'll be stuck with David De Gea um, in a good sense or a bad sense. Who, who you can knows, see why but... Dean Henderson's not happy. Like You can see, yes. can't you? Dean Henderson yeah. was told last summer when he signed his huge deal, which was incredible for a second goalkeeper, effectively, being now paid one of the top 10 goalkeepers in the world. Um, he was he thought that deal meant he would become the number one. He's not going to become the number one, not ever. So um, you can see why he's not happy. And I think this may be with Manchester United, the, the issue with contracts is that you, you give them with promises and then a year later, those promises just kind of, disappear you know eviscerate before our eyes uh, and there's lots of players I think who have been in that situation or will be in that situation this summer yeah let's uh let's move on to the manager conversation because we have to do it every show uh so the word is that reports about today suggesting a second round of interviews are on the way with uh the managers who are in line and we all obviously know it's Eric Ten Hag Mauricio Pochettino a few other names here and there. Uh, but United are supposed to have met Mauricio Pochettino. You know, whether it's an, it's being dubbed an interview, I'm not sure how interviewy these these conversations are. Um, but how long is this going to take, Rob? <laughs> well, as you said there, these are the second round of interviews. Um, look, I believe Man United should take their time and there should be due diligence. I think every football club should do that. I think Man United should do that. Um Again, as I said before, when we talked about Ten Hag, I don't believe these interviews are happening in the way that maybe it's being sold to us. <clears throat> We've also got to look at what Manchester United are putting out into the press at the moment about what they want the story to be and how they want it to look. And of course, the thing that they want is that they want to be seen to be active. But they are being active. They've been active since the day Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left the football club. So I, again, I've had no fears of that. I think when it comes to Pochettino, I think the conversations have occurred, but there has been no real core interview. And I said that about Ten Hag as well. But there is this ongoing conversation with his candidates about what would they do? How would how would Manchester United look under them? And what does Manchester United want from them? So that will just continue. It's not going to finish anytime soon. But I do think that it's one guy is in the lead. and We know who that is, a certain Dutch guy. And then you've got Pochettino. I think these are the two that United are looking at. There's been talk that there's a third candidate, but I don't really know what that means because I think the third candidate could be anyone. I think I think they're looking at the marketplace. And let's, let's say that Pochettino says, no, because the at PSG decided that. Ten Hag goes to another football club somewhere. Man United will then need to dig into their bag, won't they? And mm. find someone that appeases the fans. Because I think that this is also what this is about, is that United, in terms of their appointment and the commercial structure, they need a manager that will support their own philosophy around how they want to run the football club. And get the fans on side as well, I suppose. Totally. It's yeah. a big part of this, a huge part of this. Yes, indeed. Uh, we will await further developments on that, but I'm going to ask you from a personal point of view, Rob, are you sick of it? <laughs> <laughs> I always say this, like, as a football journalist, this is the world we live in. I've been doing breaking news now for over a decade yeah so it's part of our job and 
do I get sick of the cycle of football, the way it works? Absolutely. You know, like I've done transfer window to transfer window, 22 transfer windows I've done in a row. And and you kind of look at it, you start to be able to learn what's real, what's not real. You talk to people, you get the bits of information you need to know where we go forward. But with these conversations like around a manager, when, a, when, when United are in this kind of boat that they're in, you've got to kind of be able to read the room. You've got to be able to read the room. And as a football fan, I can't allow my fandom or how I feel about the football club to affect, say, my professional thinking and my professional brain. So, yes, I do get sick of it. The same as everyone else. Like I, I'm one of those guys that turns their notifications off of their phones for the news because I know that most of it isn't real or it's just kind of regurgitation. It's, it's, then, there's a lot of regurgitation. Of course. Of look, look, Scott, we work in this industry, don't we? You, you know, you're, you're an editor, I've edited. It's what we do. You know, we know, mm. we know how these things work in cycles. Uh, but at the same time, there is, there's truth in some stories and other stories are just completely made up. So you've got to... I see why fans get frustrated. That's my point. I see why fans kind of hear a bit of news and go, oh, that must be real because the next day they're being told it's not real. And then it's another bit of news. But this is how the news cycle works. It is a business and it goes around in circles. And football clubs are as bad as anyone in the media. They like to be able to control the conversation around their own their own football club. You know, they want to be able to say we're doing stuff. And quite often they're not. And sometimes they're doing stuff, but it's not the stuff you want them to do. So I'm I'm not quite sick of it yet, Scott, simply because I think the best is yet to come. Yeah, we will get that manager conf- confirmation sooner rather than later. It will come. And then obviously that means you and me will get very, very busy. Yes, indeed. Another project to sink our teeth into. I think it's the f- fifth one in nine years or whatever it is. I, you, you lose count, don't you? The gift um, that keeps giving a gift is Manchester United. It is. Um, and I wanted to throw across to an interview that a Man City player has done. I'm Eric Laporte, uh, yeah. has said today in an interview with The Guardian, talking about City. We've won 11 trophies in four years and that can annoy people. Our neighbours haven't won anything in reference to United. They have a lot of supporters. We're in the same city, but there's only one winner and they've spent a lot of money too. So he's stoking the fire a little bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's, he's right. And if, like we talked on last show about Louis van Gaal saying, criticising United and being absolutely right. And that's another... You, what can you say to that as a United fan? Yeah. You can't say much, but you know what I will say is this, is that when you're winning or you're the guys at the top of the mountain, you don't really need to talk like that. You don't need to. You don't have to have a complex. So um, I, again, was speaking to a, a journalist colleague of mine very recently. And we were talking about the Manchester City fan base and also those connected to the football club that we kind of know over many, many years. And there is still this kind of noisy neighbour element to them in the fact that they're trying to prove themselves to be something. You don't need to prove yourself. You prove it every week on a football pitch. Pep Guardiola is the best in the world. Your team is one of the best in the world and you've built it over 10 years. Now you can talk about ownership, sports washing, all the other stuff that goes with it. But I still think Man Man City players and fans still have this complex within Manchester about what Manchester United is and what Manchester City is. And uh, I, I don't get the point. You know, Sergio Aguero was saying last week, so this is a former Manchester City player, obviously an icon at their football club. He was still saying about how all the journalists in England support Man United. <laughs> well, we can tell you for a fact that that isn't true. 
you know, 100% when a news cycle is based around the ills of Manchester United and Manchester United collapsing every few weeks or months. Um, there's no fandom within the, in our industry, which is about promoting Manchester United. There just really isn't. Um, there's a bit more of a balance to it there. Um, but I don't know why Sissy fans or players still, still feel those things. If I was them, I would be feeling quite superior, quite happy being on the top of the mountain looking down. Because at the moment, Manchester United are very much looking up towards Manchester City. Yes, the uh, the quest to close that gap starts again. Well, they're not going to close the gap very much that by the end of this season. They just got battered 4-1 by City a few weeks ago as well. But we are recording this show ahead of... And this is how detached from football I am, Rob. I forgot that Ralph would speak to the press today. Yes, um, I completely yeah. forgot about it. Because, uh, you know, that will happen this afternoon. But... Um, we have a football game to talk about. I know. Can you believe it? So we, we wow. await team news uh, and this kind of thing, but it does seem like I can't think off the top of my head if there's any real injury problems that have cropped up. A lot of United's players, as we say, um, and as, as we've said in recent shows, were not even called up for international duty. So they might have had a little break. We've seen pictures of them in training. Let's hope that Ralph has been drilling the players into you know, some cohesive units because he's had a lot of them to work with. Yeah, well, Pogba and Varane did get injuries on international on their international. Oh, duty. Cavani's injury, uh, as well. and the big one, of course, is Cavani yeah. limped off after half an hour after starting for for uh, Uruguay with his body that, of course, is falling apart into pieces at thirty four years old, which was always going to be the problem, wasn't it? Uh, I think United's other senior players are all fine. Obviously, today for for the manager, he will be talking extensively about Bruno Fernandes and his influence uh, on our football club and and forward thinking analysis from him. Uh, this is a a tough game in the sense that I think Leicester themselves have got something to prove. They want to finish the season well, uh, and and United have obviously been just a little bit off, as you said. There, the players that remained and stayed behind, you would hope that their preparations have been a one and that they feel good about that. Again, kind of sources from the football club have said that that there was additional work going on with those players. So let's see if that happens. But I think for Ralph as well, he might well have seen one or two things in training and we might see something slightly different against Leicester. I'm not so sure, uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how he's utilised this international break. What are you expecting from this Leicester game? Is Because I don't think United... Well, they lost this fixture last season. Leicester beat them in the reverse. That was a terrible, it was a terrible day in this revert the reverse game earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Uh they've had a few problems with Leicester over the over recent months and like in recent fixtures. So it's a it's a 530 UK kickoff on Saturday evening. So it should make some good telly. Um or for you, uh some great live action. So I'd imagine you'd be you'd be I'll up be at there, all yeah. Yep. Um what are we expecting here? Are we thinking now? Have we recalibrated? Have we like have we seen the city hammering and seen United go out of the Champions League and thought, right, okay, let's forget about that. There's nine games left this season. Let's go and get they're, st- they're still in the top four mix, aren't they? But they need to. I think Ralph has said this, and I think the Manny Match has said this as well that they need to win pretty much every game, which is probably the case. But they're not going to go to Anfield and win, I don't think. But the rest of them. Really? Eh, Chelsea at home as well. And there's a big one with Arsenal, but there's nine games left and United need to start building up a head of steam and consistency. Mm. They don't have any any distractions now either. So it's not time to knuckle down. 
Well, that's what the club whispers have been saying. The club whispers are basically saying, you know, we have got to get fourth. So that means winning every remaining Premier League match. That's basically what it means. So if you want to be in that conversation next year to, to be back in the elite, because this is what Manchester United's primary goals are every season as a minimum. You know, the minimum is you must get Champions League football. And this is what Ralph was told when he took the job on. So now the complication of being in the Champions League has been removed. You're not in any of the other cup competitions. That's all gone as well for you. You should be able to focus game to game to game, week to week to week on these things. But let's be honest, Scott. You should have been able to focus on it anyway before. Yeah. So do we think we'll see an uptick in Manchester United's performances? I'm not so sure. Why is that? Because I think the problems still remain, you know, and, and these are things that are deeper than your interim, deeper than what Ralph can provide. I think Ralph's done a really good job since he's been at the club to kind of mesh together the bits that weren't working. But there's still other parts of the puzzle where the pieces are just completely missing. So you can only really address that, I think, in transfer windows or off seasons. So United will do that. We know that a new manager is coming in. And I think that a lot of these players have got to be told that you're playing for your future. You know, like unless these next seven, eight, nine games, unless you perform, that when the new coach comes in, we're not going to waste our time on you this time. You know, we're not going to give you another two, three, four years. We're going to remove you and buy someone else and get the best price we can for you. But I'm not 100% sure that's what the players have been told. Not at all, because I think United are in between a rock and a hard place. They need to qualify for the Champions League, but they need to keep these players motivated. So there's somewhere in the middle, and I think that's where Ralph has got a very difficult job to kind of juggle all these balls. This last week, Scott, what has the world been talking about? Harry Maguire getting booed at Wembley. That's all anyone wants to talk about. Now, Harry's got to come back into our setup and perform, but yet none of us feel like particularly like hot on him. We know why he's been having issues. But can he bring his performance levels up now when he's been suffering all of these things behind the scenes and obviously what happened with England? Um, I don't know. It's up to him, isn't it? It's up, you know, if he comes in and is strong and can be the best version of Harry Maguire that we know, Man United can win all of these remaining games. However, Harry Maguire has two or three stinkers, you're sixth in the league. And it will only take one or two bad performances now in matches for that to facilitate. I'm looking at the the calendar. Um mm. There's only one midweek game left that United have. So there's nine yeah. games left and it's pretty much Saturday, Sunday. Well, there's, so now there's a Monday spacing. night game. There's yeah, a Monday night space. game. Yeah. Do you, are you expecting to see anything different from what Ralph has already done with this more preparation time? Because he no. did talk about it early on, by no, not because, having time. Because these issues are not logical. You know, like if it, if it was purely we get on a training pitch, we sort this out, we go and play a game, we win it. Football's never like that anyway, but it can be. It can be something that's purely tactical in terms of how does how does the system work? I think what we're seeing with Man United in their inconsistencies is that one week they do it really well, the next week it looks like they've never done it ever. And, you know, so so does it help that half the squad have been away on international duty where they go and do their interviews and kind of tell the world they are happy or they're not happy or what, 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 what? And then they come back and you have to make that work suddenly. It might help individuals like Marcus Rashford. He's been there for two weeks with Ralph. He might now get more starts. He might be more in a better place than he has been. But come on, Scott, these players have got to take responsibility, haven't they? They've got to be able to do it themselves to a certain extent. But we do know with United that, you know, 
talking in terms of tactical philosophy and things like that. This does not ex- happen at our football mm-hmm. club. You know, it's not a real thing as it stands. And this is why we're looking towards a new manager and a new way of life, because we need that at this football club. But no, I don't know what we're going to see against Leicester because they might go out there. And as I just said there, Bruno and Ronaldo had a little, a good little piece together for those two games. And you could see there was some connection with them. I think Bruno was playing more as a number 10. Ronaldo playing as a nine, checking in and out. It worked. Will it work for Man United in the Premier League at higher pace where you're not up against North Macedonia's defence? Not so sure. You'd expect that Leicester will be a tougher prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest. And that's, if anything, I've just been grateful for the break, Rob. I know we've we've talked (laughs) about United for twice a week, for two shows a week, you know, uh, for a couple of weeks now, but... Yeah, uh, you, although you do look at this run of games and you think if, if United can three points here and then you got Everton away, which is usually a difficult game, but Everton are bad. Then yeah. there's Norwich and then if you can start building some momentum up going into the Liverpool and Arsenal games, you never know. But with the Liverpool and Arsenal games, you've got you've got to be of a mindset that every game is the same. So you're going to Liverpool. It doesn't matter how good Liverpool are, you're going to beat them. This is how it has to be. Now, of course, the Arsenal game... Is, there's, there's a real kind of crunch uh, factor there, isn't there, in terms of how, how you manage that. You know, you've, you've effectively got to beat them and beat them well. That's really what you've got to do. But there's no there's no point kind of, you know, just sitting around licking your wounds nonstop. You've just got to find a way to win. Win every game 1-0, Scott, and play terribly, and you get paid and go home. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it goes. This is about professionalism. This is not about emotion. You've got to go out there and be ruthless. And I think this is the thing with this United team and this squad is that they do lack that ruthlessness. And people can say that that's from the manager or it was Ole's fault or now it's Ralph's fault or all of this. Players need to get out there and perform. And we've seen it with United. There's been way too many inconsistencies. That's why I don't have a lot of sympathy for Harry Maguire. Because Harry Maguire, when he's good, can be really, really effective in the Premier League, can get you clean sheets. When he's bad, he's a complete liability. So this is an issue, isn't it? So individuals have to solve it. But as a, as a collective as well, they've got to play better because that's the only way you can win these matches. Where did you stand on the booing? I, I, I really, I wanted to avoid the conversation today, but since we're talking about it, I, I just got sick of it. I saw it happen and I was like, oh, well, that's... That's weird, but whatever. And then it yeah. carried on for three days. <laughs> As I was in the last two days of pressers, that every manager in the Premier League was asked about, asked about it. I, I couldn't believe it. You know that this has been the kind of sky narrative about. Oh, let's ask, let's ask Brendan Rodgers because he worked with him once about what he thought about booing. No one is ever going to advocate booing. Booing is a name. It's stupid, and it's an emotional response from fans that should know better. That's the truth. But. There is a, we do understand why players get booed. A premeditated boo before a game, again, is, is just silly. You're not going to help your player play better by showing him that you don't like him. That's not, that's not clever. But it happens in the modern game, and it's something that we didn't used to see 10, 15, 20 years ago. I've never known players get booed in the warm-up. But I've, we saw it at Old Trafford, didn't we? You know, when Harry Maguire was substituted in that last match, he came off, yeah. and there was, there was kind of mocking applause. I think I think football fans have got to get real a bit. Just get real. You're there to support your team. When you leave the stadium, yeah, slag your players off, say what you want, go online, get upset. But in the moment, which is about when you're trying to win, maybe, just maybe, try and support these guys. Maybe try and show them that you're with them and not against them. Because I think the modern fan shows quite often 
that they're against their own team. And that's a weird phenomenon. Yeah, we did see a lot of defence for Harry Maguire come from his England teammates, from, as you mentioned, their managers as well. Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish. It was a lot of uh, of defence for him. And also from players at England level who are not getting that problem. So England players are like Jordan Henderson at the moment, his stock's very high, Liverpool captain, kind of uh, uh, becoming a voice piece for for the England camp, Uh, maybe more effective at that than Harry himself. Because I think Harry doesn't always translate what he's thinking in things quite monotonous and maybe a little bit dull with dare I say it not maybe not kind of his chest puffed out all the time but it's difficult for Harry Maguire because what you know his, his colleagues are looking at this and going hang on we've got to keep this guy pumped up and and with us and we're going to defend him even in these low moments so I just think that a lot of this is about Manchester United the toxicity of it is that, that the fans don't like him I'm pretty sure that those people that booed at Wembley probably also United fans. And then there's probably a few that are not United fans that just don't like Man United players and booed him anyway, because yeah. that's happened for years. I, I've said this before. I sat in that stadium when I was a kid for England and listened to David Beckham and Paul Scholes and Nicky Barr and the Neville brothers all get booed by England fans and sat there thinking, I'm not coming to England games again. Now I go to England games professionally for my work. It's difficult to go and support that when that sticks in your head because yeah. That's the narrative around Man United players is that they're just universally disliked because of the badge on their chest. At the moment, I think people kind of like Man United players because uh, we're not that successful and they'd rather see (laughs) Harry Maguire stay in the Man United team. Harry Maguire and England will have or or learn their fate in the World Cup draw later today. Uh, So that's there to happen. Not really our bag to go and talk about that. I don't think maybe when it approaches, we'll we'll discuss the World Cup a little bit more. But we're talking Man United and we have been talking Man United today. But Rob, I'm going to my voice is awful. I've been like listening to myself talking like we had a a work party last night. So, uh, you know, that you don't when you're in lockdown and you don't really go out and, and all this kind of stuff, you, you speak at one level, you know, and you don't really strain your voice or anything like that. And you go to bars and this kind of thing and shouting over music. So yeah, I sound awful today. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up soon. Uh, would you like to, or is there any other business that you'd like to touch on before we go? No, the business now of course is winning against Leicester city. So football becomes simple again doesn't it for at least 24 hours oh, go, it's gonna go, it's gonna be simple and then you're not gonna do something and i'm gonna i'm gonna be like oh, for god's sake again <laughs> this feeling again i've no no faith or confidence no and, and i think this is kind of where the fan base is at large is that nothing is following a normal pattern is it so like we're not seeing that united's performances they did for a little while under ralph there was kind of definitely an improvement and it was going the right way and then it all fell apart. And, and I always say this, that the best tonic when things are going wrong is to win. Go and win a football match and you start to feel better. So if Man United can get even a half-decent performance out of this Leicester game and get even a victory, 1-0, as I said, I used to call it in Fergie days, you know, a goal off John Isho's backside when you're playing mm. badly. It doesn't matter. Like, as long as you get that goal, you feel good about it. You go away feeling vindicated you feel better about the world and I think that's how these Man United players are I'd love to see Marcus get on a pitch and score a worldie because it will make him feel better it will make the team feel better make the fans feel better and come on in these last few games of Ralph Ranick's tenure because it will be his final kind of little spat I think here with United for a while I think once he's here and gone, he'll be gone for good. I don't think we'll see him again at Old Trafford Um, let's just support them let's give it a go and you know if we lose against Leicester we will deal with that 
professionally <laughs> we'll deal with that here on our show and we'll deal with it with all of our audience here that join us every week uh, and we'll talk it all through and have a little therapy session around it but i think at the same time now just go and win just get that under you under your belt and let's go and get this new manager so let's go and get ten hag let's get it over the line um and let's give ten hag what he needs to be a successful coach at manchester united not before he's been interviewed 19 times, however. We well, this is it. Like, you know, just, this, sure. this, you know this, this is the world of Zoom, isn't it? It's like uh, multiple interviews over and over again. Uh, as I said, I'm not quite sure how many interviews are actually being conducted, even though we're being told that they are. Um, and, and I do think it's a shortlist of one and maybe one B. I think those are the two. And at the moment, you're not going to see a Luis Enrique or Roberto Mancini or Ilopetegui or Diego Simeone. It really is Pochettino or Ten Hag. And I think Man United are very, very hot on Ten Hag. There's no doubt. That's what we're hearing behind the scenes from key sources that United want this guy. They're just trying to keep it calm at the moment because they don't really want to upset Ajax. Yes, indeed. We'll see what happens. United play Leicester on Saturday and then have a little week off until... Everton at Goodison the next time out, uh, but we'll see how it goes. <clears throat> Hopefully, three points on the way, fingers crossed. Uh, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods as a reminder on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Rob, we might actually be able to like look at games, you know, because like, you know, on a Tuesday we can like digest it, on a Friday we can look ahead, and there's no yeah. right games in between, so... Nice consistency. Let's just hope that some consistent results come with it that are positive, not negative. Uh, head over to our YouTube channel as well. Hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. And just one final reminder, you can follow us on Twitter too, at underscore Scott Saunders for me. Rob is at underscore Rob underscore B. And the show is at Promised Land MU. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening or watching, whatever you're doing. Uh, and we'll be in touch soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc wilson you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar how did you do it i got a huge assist from grammarly an ai writing partner that helped me make my point and it works everywhere i write Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.